0: I saw a in the way back home. Maybe Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies Podcast. I am your host, Rob Christopherson, and joining us, joining us again from the Haunted, Haunted Mitten podcast, Kay Gray. Kay, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Woo! Thanks for uh, having me after I pestered you to have me on again. I, I mean
0: yeah right like it doesn't take much (laughs) to to really become a guest on our strange skies you just have to pastor me online and you know i'm I'm good to go i'm like yeah sure let's do it uh let's set the time (laughs) let's set the date let's make it happen and every time uh, you're like
1: i'm thinking about having a guest i'm like hello
0: (laughs) me hello
1: yeah uh, me hello
0: i'm here yeah, um, uh, this? you you're you're brave for this one. Uh, <laughs> we're 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 getting pretty ambitious with this one. And um, <laughs> that's true, Uh, folks. I don't know why I decided to do this to myself, but felt it was time to. You know. Maybe go above and beyond and do a series that has too much shit going on. <laughs> Like (laughs) way too much going on there's a lot i
1: i won't be surprised if this ends up to be a longer a much longer series than you think it's going to be
0: right now i'm counting to i'm hoping for four uh because uh we're gonna focus mostly on the u.s stuff for the first three and then we'll do an episode on the foreign stuff because there's a lot of you know important foreign cases that happened between 65 and 67 but the reason that we're doing this series is that this is seen as kind of a turning point for ufology there's a lot of important and and like hugely impactful sightings and events and and congressional hearings and uh stuff that happens around this time but like it is called the turning point often in ufology, uh, largely because we see the end of Project Blue Book uh, start in 66. We uh, see a number of historic cases. Uh, humanoids are reported more, m- more and more uh, than they had been previously. And uh, we see the press kind of stick it to the Air Force a little bit in their explanations of you know, project blue book, but you know, there's a series of sightings in, in August of 1965 that just kind of like the press says, no, I'm not digging what you're, you're selling us here. So we get that we get, uh, with this with this particular episode, we get the incident at Exeter, which is, you know, it's a pretty monumental sighting and, uh, it's during the incident at exeter investigation that betty and barney hill's story kind of comes out these these incidents happen at the same time we're talking about the same you know relative kind of area of you know we're talking new hampshire and and that's important we have The Antonio V.S. Boa story being printed for the first time and uh, Flying Sauce Review, which is the first time that's ever appeared in print because nobody wanted to publish it in Brazil and they wouldn't until 1972. And I mean, I don't know why, you know, it's just a guy going on a UFO, having sex with an alien. You know, what's what's so off about that?
1: (laughs) What's so weird? Print it.
0: Yeah, like it seems fine to me, you know, but uh, I guess uh, it's a little too hot for the tabloids, uh, which I is guess. surprising, really. Surprising. Yeah, that
1: boy was fine, uh, but this is too much,
0: damn it all. But uh, yeah, there's also you know the Rex Heflin photos, which are still disputed to the, even this day. Uh, people say, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, uh, but. going to be covering all that plus there's extra shit happening uh in in all over the world but um the turning point largely uh, starts uh in on august 1st when this large volume of ufos they were kind of reported over texas and then uh like reports Spread out into Arkansas, Kansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Colorado, the Dakotas—like all over, you know, the Southwest, the Midwest. uh, Like it's this conflagration of sightings. But um, we're going to go back to the beginning here before we get into all this. uh, Most of this stuff, and we go back to late December, nineteen sixty-four. Or there's some strange stuff happening in Virginia. And on December 21st, 1964, there's this landing in Roanoke, uh, which is, you know, it's Roanoke. It's 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 spooky as it is. It's got a spooky reputation.
1: Yeah, it already has a, a bunch of myths behind it. So sure, let's add let's add UFOs. Why not?
0: Exactly. Like uh, we're not really doing any damage here that we wouldn't have been, you know, doing maybe back in in the colonial days. But um, uh, the witness in this case, Mr. Horace Burns, he was driving his station wagon on Route 250 near Waynesboro. And at, at around 5 p.m., this huge metallic object descends from the sky and it passes over the road about 200 feet and as the UFO landed near this small meadow, his car kind of came to an abrupt stop. His engine had died. It had been disabled by this UFO. Uh, the object itself resembled an inverted top, not dissimilar to the object seen by Dale Sparr one year later, which we'll get into in the 66 series. But uh, um, these, this thing was huge. It was... Uh, estimated to be about 125 feet in diameter, 80 to 90 feet tall. And the craft was casting this blue glow onto the surrounding vegetation uh, while it rested on the ground. And the UFO remained there for about 90 seconds before it rose up into the air and just like sped away really quickly.
1: Lord, that's huge. It is.
0: It's too big. It's too big. It's too big. I, it's I'll too be the first big. How dare you? you. It's, it, it like... I just can't picture it landing where he's saying it's landing because it's just, it's so big, you know. It's, it's it's huge. I
1: can't either. Like, good lord,
0: it's uh, yeah, it's just too big here. And you know, he he drives home. He's reluctant to tell anybody, but he tells his wife, and uh, he um. It was after he heard that there was a UFO investigation club at the Eastern Mennonite College that okay. uh, over in Harrison. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's like okay, <laughs> I guess, I, sure, sure. Uh, I did
1: not see those words
0: going together. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> are Mennonites more are. or less likely to believe in the paranormal? <laughs>
0: i don't know i i that's a good question um i i'm gonna struggle with that hit me with emails folks our strange guys at gmail.com i'm kind of curious now
1: <laughs> okay okay uh mennonite college totally fine ufo invest that seems the opposite of what
0: yeah. they would
1: have there but you know what do, yeah. i don't know anything really about the mennonites so yeah. yeah i'm super interested are they more or less likely
0: yes hmm. uh, are they will they e- more easily accept it well it's it's an interesting question to grapple with uh but he heard it over the airwaves of wsva and uh he he told the story to the dj jim ship who passed the information on to the group and Nine days after the sighting, uh, Ernest German, a professor at at, uh, the Eastern Mennonite College, he examined the landing area with a Geiger counter and found a significant amount of radiation uh, noted in the article as 60,000 counts per minute. Uh, Two other men, Harry Cook, uh, an engineer for DuPont, and Mr. Funk, Uh, I mean, that's a hell of a name, right there. Uh, That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it it absolutely is. Uh, They determined that it was like alpha wave radiation, so not uh, totally bad for human beings. Um,
1: Okay, I was just going to ask what that meant because I have I'm not good at science.
0: So there's a couple different types of uh, radiation. There's alpha wave, and then there's gamma, which is the bad stuff. Gamma's gamma is the makes stuff the that the Hulk heroes. was exposed to. Yeah, it makes yeah. the superheroes. It's okay. Yeah, nearly two weeks after the sighting on January twelfth, nineteen sixty five, Air Force personnel Technical Sergeant D Moody and Staff Sergeant H Jones. Would examine the site too, and despite the fact that they seemed uh inexperienced with the meters that they had uh they seemed to be impressed with the results uh however, on january twenty seventh they would determine that no there was no radiation present um oh okay, and yeah just <laughs> you know no, there sure. wasn't and like there's there was an odd there was an odd sentence uh the in the report that i read for this thing uh and i did share it on twitter i'll see if i can find it here very quickly but it it was just so weird the way that they um wrote it there's a particular use huh. of words here that uh i am i'm at a loss uh for you know why you would say these words again i i get that it's a different time But, um, yeah, let me see if I can find it here. Oh, yes. Uh, Tweet sent out on June 28th. You know it's an old UFO report when you read, quote, On the first two tests, the needle of the meter was seen to start rising, whereupon the Air Force NCO ejaculated and made a swift adjustment of the control. I mean... There's better ways to word
1: that. Nope. Uh, if you if you put that word in in a document that I'm reading, I'm I'm reduced to being 12 years old.
0: But, yeah, this is this is what we're dealing with. Like, this is this is the problem here because I understand what they mean. It means that like he kind of like made jerky movements with his hand, but like was, you could have worded that differently. I mean, you know, I'm. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a ch- Maturity level can't handle this shit.
1: No, but, um, not at all.
0: No. No. But citing reports they continue. Uh, and there was one remarkable encounter uh with humanoids. And you know, quote, about the middle of January nineteen sixty five, a witness, William Blackburn, was cutting timber for an archery match. Sweet. Uh, he had yeah, he's uh, he's going all out. He's making them arrows, uh, and I dig it. I totally dig it. Uh, he saw two UFOs standing on the ground between 540 and 615 p.m. There was no sound or light from either of them. One was about 250 uh, feet in diameter. Again, this thing is fucking huge. And the other is about 65 feet in diameter. From the smaller craft, which seemed to be of glass or of some very brilliant metal, three beings emerged. They were dark-colored, but their clothing was of the same color as the craft. They approached to a point only about 12 yards from the witness. Their appearance was human, though one of them had very long fingers. Their regard was penetrated. Yeah, like, I'm assuming pianist, maybe?
1: (laughs) Oh, that's not what I was... Thinking? Never mind. Uh, Go on. You know. You know. <laughs> uh
0: yeah, another banger sentence here. Their regard was penetrating.
1: We're okay. doing great. We're doing and, awesome. Yeah. We are killing it with the 15 year old Yes.
0: And I mean this is written in nineteen sixty-five, so um, you know, it is what it is. But uh their regard was penetrating and they emitted unintelligent sounds. <laughs> God damn it. Look, I'm, I'm quoting from the humanoid catalog here. This is what they wrote, no, not me. I
1: know, but we have so much to get through.
0: I know. Uh, after a moment or so, they turned to re-enter their craft. The door opened and closed again after they had entered, becoming quite invisible and seemingly merging with the wall of the craft. The machine then took off and vanished as it rose from the ground. Its interior became lit up. So that's uh, wait. Y- there's a lot of humanoid. So, yeah.
1: Okay. So this um, giant ass craft, and then a slightly less giant craft lands. These yeah. these guys come out. They look, and then they just go back inside and leave. Yep.
0: Pretty much. Oh. Okay hmm
1: they're like oh this is earth oh mm, yeah oh,
0: p- shit. Nah. got turned around damn it um fuck yeah took that last... left yep just leave
1: god damn um, it gloop you screwed up the fucking navigation again
0: <laughs> again you know um again the report was kind of just vague on a lot of things as a lot of things that come from the Humcat because they are, uh, summarized and, and oftentimes mm-hmm. you can never track down an original source cause it'll say something like letter received from so-and-so. I was like, great. Thanks guys. I'm glad you <laughs> published it and something, but yeah, I can't go and read this letter. But, uh, uh, toward the end of January sighting reports had increased dramatically Prompting the police chief Of Augusta County To warn people not to shoot at these objects The papers Were filled with headlines like Don't shoot the little green men And it's not right to mow them down
1: It's not right
0: <laughs> Not right Not right at all uh, <laughs> I, I Aliens have I, rights I, I, too Yep, they do. Damn it. Got a right to land. Got a right right to to... uh, not be shot out. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we can't say the same for fellow humans. Slam. Anyway, go on.
0: It's right.
1: (laughs) Sorry. Um,
0: No, it's all good. So... On January 26th, Reverend Preston Robinson and four other members of his family saw a Saturn-shaped object, its nose dipping down, hovering 600 feet over the town of Marion. And from the humanoid catalog on the same day, quote, a group of teenagers, including Steve Huffer, 16, were riding on Route 250 near Brands Flats, Virginia, when they saw a little man about three and a half feet tall sitting by the roadside watching the cars passing. He was wearing a silvery-looking one-piece silvery garment. They got out of the car and pursued the little man. Two more joined the first and ran with him, easily outrunning the boys and leaving no footprints in the muddy ground. Uh, The group contacted the Staunton police. Within an hour, a group of police were on the scene as well as a young photographer, Charles Weaver. Weaver, with Huffer, approached the barn which Weaver entered, calling out to uh, Huffer, who found his companion knocked down. Weaver claimed that something struck him. They left the barn, but as they fled, believed they saw a little man standing in front of the building. Weaver paused long enough to take a picture, and the pair rejoined the other investigators. Now, uh, this photo is not... I've never seen it. It's nowhere to be found uh, that I can tell, but... um, you know, alien just kind of sitting at the roadside in his feelings gets interrupted by a group of people that's just coming by to harass him. I joy that, you know, it's aggressive enough to knock people down. It's great.
1: I just like, yeah, I would run from a bunch of teenagers too. Like, uh,
0: <sighs> fuck those kids, you know?
1: Cool. No. Let's just yeah. go chase this thing. All right.
0: Yep. You know? So. January thirteenth of sixty-five, there's a sighting that took place over Washington, DC that was eerily similar to the sightings that had taken place in nineteen fifty-two that Ed Ruppelt had dubbed the Washington Mario go-around. It's the uh incidents that led to the to the um uh Robinson panel, who basically kinda gave Project Blue Book its new uh marching orders uh when it came to investigating these these cases but there were 12 to 15 white oval shaped objects that had flown over the Capitol. they were witnessed by dozens of people and these objects were said to have been chased by two jet planes but uh the defense department of course denied it so you know what yeah
1: the government deny something crazy
0: i know it's it's absolutely insane. Uh, and also this month, like uh, like I mentioned at the top, um, in the January, February 1965 issue of Flying Saucer Review carried the first part of Antonio villas story. At the time, he was only known through the initials A, V, B. Uh, Dr. Walter Bue- Bueller, a Brazilian ufologist, actually, I don't know if he was Brazil- Brazilian or if he moved there, but, uh, you know, he became pretty well known in the country for investigating UFO cases. And he had learned of the story in 1961 and had traveled to a small village where Boas lived. Um, oh and he and he interviewed him and it would uh later turn out that some of the details that he, that uh, were published were wrong. I'm not sure if that was intentional on Boas's part, but um you know ultimately that story of a man being forced on board a UFO and all that stuff came out. They dubbed it the quote most amazing case of all and it was published eventually over like nine parts in From 65 to 67 so it it was it was a big case for flying saucer review oh yeah um yeah it was just absolutely huge but um one thing that um kind of started to die down in the 60s were the uh contactee kind of craze uh going on with people meeting human looking at Uh, Aliens and such. Uh, And and, I mean, in the next episode, we'll touch on Woodrow Derenberger meeting injured cold on the side of the road. But uh, there's an interesting case, this one from California, um, at around 2 uh, a.m. in January Uh, On January 30th, 1965, Sid Patrick, a 45-year-old TV repairman, was taking his typical evening stroll uh, along Manresa Beach uh, near Watsonville. As the uh, waters of the Pacific crashed ashore, Sid was startled by a humming sound that seemed to pop up out of nowhere. Looking up, he could see an object shaped like two inverted saucers starting to descend and... Two hours earlier, the mayor of Monterey, George M. Clemens, and at least a dozen eyewitnesses had seen this bright spherical object just hovering over Monterey Bay. And as Sid locked eyes with this object above him, he turned to flee, but not before hearing this voice in his head. Do not be frightened. We are not hostile. Like, uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. This voice that booms out from the ufo and you know sid continued to run until yeah. they said quote yeah just don't stop don't stop and <laughs> even when they say we we mean you no harm you're welcome to come aboard well no nope. you know maybe maybe curiosity will kill the cat for some people but uh you know in the words of in the case of sid patrick it did so uh, the words kind of just stopped him in his track and he turned to face the object and a door just slid open for him. Not creepy no. at all, but uh, no, Sid, you know, no. Just, uh, unfortunately, you know, the object's it's resting on the ground and the voice just becks him, beckons him forward. So Sid enters the craft and he steps into this small room where he's greeted by a very pale but average-looking man. His face bore sharp features, and his fingers were very long and clean, which is good. I uh, he said that it looked like they had received a manicure, so I appreciate that they have clean fingers. Uh, it's great. That's that's important when you're encountering people. It just uh, sounds and st-
1: right. Yeah, no, yeah. that's yeah. yes. Always make sure to clean under your nails. But it just sounds yeah. like he just met he just met a like a goth before there were goths. Like
0: yeah, pretty much. Uh pretty much.
1: An average looking pale kid with with like good nails.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, instead of the normal one-piece outfit that most euphonauts seem to wear, this this one wore a two-piece. I respect that. This is a two-piece. You know, had distinctive boots on, which made this loud thumping when he walked around. And yeah. Sid asked, "Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, it is, it is pretty much a goth right there, absolutely." So, yeah, you know, it
1: doesn't say what color.
0: No, it didn't. It didn't give a lot of detail. Uh, in terms All of right. um, you know, outfit, but I like folks use your imagination. You can make them look however you want. Um,
1: yeah, as long as it's black, yeah. because that guy is just Goth kid.
0: Yeah. So Sid asked for this being's name, and they responded, "You may call me Zeno." So we got a name here, Zeno. Uh, and. According to John Keel in the book, Our Haunted Planet, released in 1971, the word Zeno in Greek means stranger. So, Indeed. Yes. Zeno escorted Sid to a room that reminded him of a chapel. Quote, the color effect in that room was so pretty that I almost fainted when I went in. A mixture of beautiful colors. I can't describe it. There were eight chairs, a stool, and what appeared to be an altar. Zeno said, would you like to pay your respects to the supreme deity? I didn't know how to accept it. I'm 45 years old. And until that night, I had never felt the presence of the supreme being. But I did feel him that night. End quote.
1: (laughs) Uh, Heads up, that supreme deity was probably Robert Smith. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Could have been.
1: Could have it's been. Just an alter. I, and, yeah. To Robert Smith.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Zeno then carted Sid around for a little while, taking him on this kind of short flight, ultimately returning him back to the beach. And, like, Sid immediately told his story to the press, to Air Force personnel at Hamilton Air Force Base. He was telling everybody. It was a good time for Oh, my for
1: him. gosh. Zeno just wanted yeah. a friend.
0: Yeah, Zeno wants a friend. That's it. And like, there's no other reported contact between the two. It's just this one off incident. And now we get into the weird cases here. I, I, this may be typical fare for Florida. I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, we're heading to Florida for a couple of cases here. Um, and, and the most sensational occupant case of 1965 was that of uh, John Reeves. He was a resident of Weekiwatchee Springs in Florida. And in the afternoon of March 2nd, uh, Reeves, who was 65, was allegedly hunting snakes when he saw a strange object, quote, out on the flats, end quote. Uh, It was a saucer shaped roughly 20 to 30 feet in diameter, six feet tall and stood on four legs. Quote, it was bluish green and reddish purple with two windows on top. Like, this color spectrum, I'm here for it. This is great. Right?
1: It's like yeah. a giant oil slick.
0: It it really is. It truly is. Um, he moved cautiously around this object to get closer to it. He, like, we're talking about some, like, Mission Impossible kind of maneuvers here. Or at least that's what it seems like. And, um... As he's getting closer, that was when the short, what he calls a "quote unquote" space robot, appeared from a nearby bush. Uh, this figure was stocky, about five feet tall, wearing a gray canvas-like suit, complete with a glass helmet. This figure had a dark complexion. "Quote the eyes were farther apart." And the chin was more pointed than in the case of a human being. It walked over to within about 15 feet of me and looked straight at me. I just stared back at this glass dome. It didn't make a sound and then just stared at me. I just couldn't even blink an eye. I was so scared. Like, this isn't a guy that sounds like he's scared. Uh, Just saying.
1: Uh, No, this man goes out into the Florida swamps to hunt snakes and he's scared of this.
0: Yeah. All uh, right. That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a very good point. So out on the, the figure's left side, they produced this kind of black box that had rounded edges, and it flashed. And that was when Reeves started to run towards the being at this point. Full sprint. Uh wow. He wasn't... Um, he was get, getting a little bold here. And his glasses and his hat fell off. So... He stopped, he crouched down to get them, and the object, this black object, flashed again. And the being then re-entered the craft, and the rim around this object started to rotate in this counterclockwise direction. And in uh, the in a whistle, basically, uh, it was kind of loud, the craft was gone. So... Um, When the being ran to re-enter the craft, they dropped two pieces of cloth-like paper with strange markings on it. And this paper resembled kind of like tissue paper, but it was very strong. They couldn't break it when they tried to. They couldn't rip it or tear it. So also on the ground were these four marks left by legs that this object was standing on. Uh, and these you know markings were later destroyed by rain, but according to Reeves, he stayed up all night wondering what to do until making the decision to walk to the nearby radio station w j j b <laughs> at noon, where the station manager Woody Johnson phoned mcdill field uh investigators were pretty prompt and they questioned Reeves at the station and visited the landing site so
1: this is probably gonna get answered. But uh, are there are there photos of the cloth? Is that cloth anywhere or the tissue? Oh,
0: yeah, there's there is photos. There is uh, there's 100 percent photos. And uh, almost immediately, a couple of oddities presented themselves in the case. So Woody Johnson and photographer Frank Fish seem to kind of have a financial stake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, they had a financial stake in Reeves story. So fish had taken photos of the landing site and he was selling them for like $30 for a set. So like in 1965 money, that's expensive.
1: Good Lord.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, life magazine had given Reeves a lie detector test and he failed it. Uh, and, uh, on April 1st, the Air Force announced that this case was a hoax. Uh, oh, MacDill Air Force Base, Yeah. MacDill Air Force Base also tested the paper that, and found that it was just cons, uh, common stencil paper. Bad, I should really read it. ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> the script had been handwritten very amateurishly. But by two different writers, which was the weird thing. They they figured that it was somebody would uh, that it was two different writers because of the the penmanship. But uh, in fact, investigators were able to translate what was on this. The message on page one read: uh, "Be sure to drink your Ovaltine." No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it read:
1: <laughs> "How old are we that plant- that you made that joke?" And it was, and I actually found it funny. I
0: know, I know, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the 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 message on page 1 read planet mars are you coming home soon we miss you very much why did you stay away so long
1: <gasps> oh.
0: Uh, You know, it's uh, it's adorable. Uh, It's adorable. What's uh, what makes it even more interesting is that it's yeah, it's just it's it it seemed this message seemed to have been written by someone who didn't speak English as a primary language. So it seems like there was somebody in on this with Reeves. But um, uh, in 1968, Reeves claimed to have been taken to the moon by these beings. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it's one of those interesting cases that's uh it's kind of been debunked at this point but uh right it, it made it it was a pretty big splash in the press and uh another case from uh Florida this time the Everglades uh would make a, a pretty big splash on on its own so on March 17th James Flynn A 45-year-old rancher, he walked into Dr. Paul Brown's office. He was an ophthalmologist in Fort Myers, and Flynn needed treatment. Uh, According to the story printed in the APRO Bulletin, quote, the area around his eyes was red and puffy, and he he was nearly blind. His right eye looked like a bloody marble, end quote. Um, Yeah, we're putting visuals into your head right now, folks. That's how we do it. But uh, five days earlier on Friday, March 12th, Flynn had loaded up his uh, quote unquote swamp buggy uh, with some camping. Yeah, he's going camping with his four dogs and he headed into the Everglades. And uh, on Saturday night, his dogs had tracked a frightened deer chasing it into the dense brush. And Flynn had tried to call his dogs back uh, until around midnight Um, he, uh, he unloaded his, uh, he loaded his buggy and he, uh, you know, attempted to catch their trail. And an hour later, Flynn spotted this light in the sky just above the cypress trees and it would move in this kind of like grid like pattern, often returning to the same spot again and again until it just settled down. So Flynn, he drove a little closer and, and, you know, he starts to observe this object through a pair of binoculars.
1: OK, I'm reading ahead this time because I have to know if these dogs uh, are OK. Uh, I,
0: I'm assuming so, because there isn't anything else about the dogs. The dogs, I think we're fine. Uh, OK,
1: I'm just making yeah. sure I'm just skimming ahead this time before I ask a stupid question. OK, go on.
0: I, I think. I think the dogs have a happy ending, but, uh, you know, this subject, it was like 32 feet tall and it was widened at the base, giving it kind of like a cone shape, though, like the top of it was rounded instead of coming to a direct point. Uh, the closer to the top of the craft uh, were these kind of four rows of windows, roughly two feet by two feet. And Flynn noted that the hull seemed to be made of some type of uh, metallic material, roughly, about uh, in these four-foot-by-four-foot four sheets that were held together by rivets. And almost immediately, because of that detail, he assumed mm-hmm. that this was like a government craft of some kind because, you know, sometimes sure. people say, well, this is a singular, you know, this was made out of like a singular piece of metal or something like that. But we do have evidence of... Rivets, and from the windows there was this pale yellowish light that could be seen, and from underneath it, this um, the object cast this orange red glow on the ground. And Flynn stood about a quarter mile away, observing the object for over half an hour. He then moved the buggy forward, stopped just outside the projected light that the craft is making. And during this period, he was able to find, you know, one of his dogs. He had put it in a cage and this dog just kept getting more and more upset. So much so that it was trying to tear out of the cage. Oh so, God. Yeah. Like, it's it's going to get intense, but uh, Flynn, he stepped down from the buggy and he walked closer. He waved to whomever he thought was on board this object, but he got no response. And then he pushed closer and waved back. And in response, this object emitted a beam of light from one of the windows and it struck him right in the forehead. Uh, His. Yeah. It's just like a little, like the dudes, the dudes waving. Like, I don't know what kind of wave this was, but I don't think it was that aggressive. No, it was
1: just his middle finger.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, we've got stone cold Steve Austin in the Florida Everglades here, just flipping off UFOs.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a Florida hello.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I now have a distinct image of stone cold Steve Austin going up to a UFO and asking it to give him a hell yeah. But, um, James Flynn's next conscious memory was of waking up on Tuesday morning, a full 24 hours after his encounter with the object. He was uh, behind his buggy, and the dog, by this time, had nearly torn out of its cage. And there was this circle of burned... Uh, the into the ground where the object had hovered and it looked as if it had been like swept clean of twigs and grass. Like there wasn't a lot of debris and uh, there were some trees that show signs of the saucer's presence. There were eight cypress trees that were scorched from the tops uh, down to about halfway from the ground. And Flynn then drove two miles back to his camp and and what's great here is he cooked a meal. He ate some uh, eggs and bacon, and then he drove to the residence of a, of a guy named uh, Henry Billy. Uh, he was a Seminole uh, Indian, and um, yeah, he was uh, he was going a little slow though because it turned out his eyes. He had a very blurry vision, which I don't recommend that, you know, you uh, operate a vehicle when you can't see like that, you know, just, just especially
1: one called a swamp buggy.
0: Yes, swamp maybe buggy. Um,
1: maybe we have at least one fully working eye for that.
0: Yeah, because, uh, you know, one's blurry, can't see out of the other. So, uh, you know, just uh Hopefully going real slow. So he he drove himself to the ophthalmologist's office. Uh <laughs> which looked like um you had a friend who pretty much just offered uh, you know, a ride. He said Henry said he'd bring him, but nope. Uh he had gone to the ophthalmologist's uh office and it had been about 48 hours since the encounter, and Dr. Paul Brown had actually admitted him to the hospital under the care of Dr. H.J. Stipe. Quote, I, w- yeah, yeah. Um, it's good that they did admit him, because uh, he's got some problems. He's uh, it's a little fucked up.
1: Beyond the normal, swamp, camp, fucked up.
0: Yeah, beyond the normal uh, here. Quote, I was asked to see Mr. Flynn about 48 hours after he was admitted to Lee Memorial Hospital by an ophthalmologist for an injury to his right eye. The eye condition was hemorrhaging into the anterior chamber of the eye, apparently traumatic. Mr. Flynn gave a history of being hit by something like a flash of light while approaching an unidentified flying object hovering just above the ground. I'm sure you are acquainted with the account of his observation of his identi- unidentified flying object. When I first examined Mr. Flynn, he had both eyes covered by bandages, and I was not able to observe his eyes or forehead. He was alert and cooperative. The physical examination showed a well muscled, well nourished male. The heart and lungs were normal, the abdomen was normal. The only abnormal findings were neurological. No paralysis was noted, but the deep tendon reflexes of biceps, triceps, patellas, and Achilles were absent. Planters and abdominal were absent, but uh, cremasterics were present. Mr. Flynn was observed uh, carefully for several weeks. His reflexes gradually returned over a five-day to one-week period, but returned irregularly. The forehead was finally examined and uh, presented a thickened area just above uh, and medial to the right eye. In center of this area was a depressed, slightly abraded spot about one centimeter in diameter. Very small amounts uh, of hematoma was noted across right upper eyelid. There was never any mental confusion or evidence of hallucination. About the fourth day in the hospital Mr Flynn complained of hearing uh, of hearing reduction and numbness in the arms and hands this cleared in about 24 hours when last seen about 16 April 1965 approximately 4 weeks after the injury Mr Flynn again checked The abdominal reflexes were not present, but all others were normal. The depressed area over the right eye was still present and prominent. He still has a cloudy vision of the right eye. No other abnormal physical or neurological findings were noted. Wow. Uh, Yeah, he's fucked up.
1: That light fucked him up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, big time. Holy cow. Big time. Uh Coral Lorenzen of APRO spoke to her physician about Dr. Stipe's report and noted one odd feature, the lack of deep tendon reflexes. And according to Dr. Ross Chapin, this could only be caused... By an emotional shock. Now I don't know if that's the only thing that could actually cause it but uh, it is um, it's interesting. His reflexes were off. Uh, but hmm. uh, in a 1966 phone interview with Arizona physicist James E. McDonald, Flynn stated that the UFO was some, you know, secret aircraft of ours and that if he could prove it then somebody would pay for, you know, the good eye to have it fixed. Um <laughs>
1: There you go. Too bad it's the government and they will never, ever pay out for that.
0: Yeah. Um, It's interesting to note that, you know, Ross Chapin says that according to, you know, him and his his time being a doctor, that the only reason, the only way that his uh, reflexes would change would be by an emotional shock. And again, I just don't. I don't know enough there, but it, it's interesting. Like, yeah, you got you got an emotional shock. It it fucked with you. So that's why you don't have any reflexes. But um, yeah. In, I see, yeah, I can see. I can see it
1: coming it, from shock. Yeah, I don't. But yeah, like like you said, I I do not know <laughs> about this no. enough at all to be able to tell no. to say anything else about it.
0: No. Uh, But uh, in July of 1996, Flynn made a rare public appearance at Port Charlotte, Florida, where he stated, quote, I'm waiting for the day someone turns up the truth about this thing. I hope I live that long. End quote. Um, You know, that's noble, man. I Mm. dig that. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. No, No. I don't. I don't know (laughs) if he's still living to this day. I don't think he is but uh you know that is what it is i guess but um (laughs) sorry bro but uh sighting reports would still start to you know go on the rise here and there were a number of sightings came in from Argentina. Uh, in Valensol, France, the stunning encounter of Maurice Maas would show that UFO occupants could be a bit hostile. You know, that's, that's one of the cases. That's probably the most important case I will cover on the foreign episode, part four of this series. But um, there were even UFO sightings over Antarctica, of all places. So... They're just, UFOs are like, they're out here. They want to be seen. They're being a little reckless. They're doing shit. But, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's getting intense, which I appreciate.
1: <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. Yeah. Um, one report from Lake Mason in Marquette County, Wisconsin, on May 30th kind of stands out. And this is the direct quote from the Humcat. Quote, while sunbathing on her lake cottage roof, Miss MG Confidential saw a shiny disc-shaped object approaching in a direct line from over the lake. She described it as metallic, about 40 feet wide, with a dome on top and a row of windows, through which she was able to see first one, then two occupants. The object hovered over her cottage you know. lot less than 200 feet away. As tripod landing gear emerged from underneath, a witness on on the roof was looking down on the landed object when she saw the first figure at the window. When he saw her on the roof, he beckoned to another figure who appeared at a second window. They seemed to be rather short, with large, bald heads. They stared at Miss G for what seemed to be a long time the next thing the witness recalled was watching the object move rapidly away in the direction of the setting sun there was an apparent time lapse of at least four hours um so ufo descends out of the clouds and uh spots a woman sunbathing (laughs)
1: Bro, bro, come look at this. Other alien comes to the window. Aw, sick. (laughs) That's
0: the vibe I got from Italy. Yo, dude, check this out.
1: Oh, dude, oh, fuck, she saw us. Uh, Go, go, go.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh... Under self-induced hypnosis, the witness was able to recall walking up to the UFO and being led up a stairway and into the vehicle by two occupants. They were under four feet tall. Yeah, and one of them held a small box, which he then opened inside was a dark colored crystal that gave off a vapor or smoke he held it in front of her face and the witness jumped back but when he again passed it close to her face she discovered that the fumes were odorless the next thing she remembers was being back on her roof watching the object depart so yeah uh and interestingly here, we we get a follow-up months later on September 3rd uh, when she would have another another encounter. Quote, Miss MG had retired but suddenly found herself awake and driving on a rural asphalt road somewhere near De Plain, Iowa. When she came to a spot where a man was standing on the road waving a lantern, she stopped believing that there had been an accident and got out. The man was tall, normal in appearance, except for a very high forehead. That's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty brutal. Why, it's why, brutal why, like. we
1: gotta, why we gotta mention that? that some some of us yeah, have why, bigger foreheads than others, okay?
0: Yeah, what no forehead shame here. Uh we're not we're not <laughs> going down that road, but uh no. uh uh and was dressed in a white coverall with a metal bucket at the waist. Um metal bucket that's an interesting fashion choice i think
1: uh today i think uh what's what's normal in the human world painters i'm gonna be a house painter yep
0: yep totally um you know we've got a car accident here i'm gonna dress myself as a painter totally blending in these motherfuckers will never know Um, maybe
1: that's the only costume that he had at the time
0: Probably, you know, like, uh, it's what you got in the trunk and, uh, you gotta go with the flow. I understand. Um, so she was led across the grass to an area that was suddenly brightly, uh, lighted from an opening door of a large round mass sitting on legs about a hundred feet from the road. There were three more cars stopped along the road and the occupants of these were uh were also being escorted into this object. Their abductors were all over six feet tall with very high foreheads. Uh, dear, here we go again. Uh they are bald. I- okay, then they don't the even vest-
1: then, then yeah, their forehead goes all the way around. It's fine. It's just bald.
0: Yeah. I mean look folks, bald is bald is beautiful. We're we're cool here. Um Hell yeah. Uh yeah. Inside the vessel, there were two normal appearing men, also in white coveralls, one with white hair and he was the only one that spoke during the experience and He did so in a language unknown to the witness. The other human-looking uh, the other human looked Italian and was younger. The four tall occupants each appeared to be in charge of the four abductees. And the appearance and in appearance were identical. The room was filled with electronic equipment and control knobs. And telepathically, she was told that she would not recall the incident. The next thing she remembered was being led outside by her host and being helped into her car. The other three men were likewise being assisted to their cars. Miss G made a U-turn and drove straight home where she went directly to bed. Self-hypnosis indicated that a... Yeah, yeah just totally no, that is the here.
1: correct course of action? Yeah. Fuck this.
0: Yep. Yeah, just go home, go to bed, this sleep yeah. this off. But uh, uh, self-hypnosis indicated that the medical examination had been conducted. Like, bold of this woman here to do self Hypnosis, like, uh, that's crazy, you know?
1: That's the most like terrifying story yet. Mm -hmm. It's not even the alien part.
0: Yeah, it's definitely up there. Like, you know, aliens being creeps, watching a woman sunbathe, you know? Right. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah, but self-hypnosis,
1: that's just, that's, that's taking it too far.
0: Yeah, just, just a bit. Um, (laughs) <laughs> One of the most alarming humanoid cases occurred in late June of 1965. The witness came forward in 1977 and told their story to Dewey J. Boska. Uh, this is the direct quote from the humja- Humcat. Quote, Susan J., 12, and her sister Robin, 10, named Confidential, were in bed on the front porch of their house when they noticed a person with long hair dressed in a long white robe covering the feet standing across the street watching them. So this is creepy, like, from start to finish, just, just yep. so you know. Don't yeah. like that. Now, this person twice uttered in a very low, distinct voice the name Sue, and they thought they heard a tisk tisk sound of disapproval. The girls went to the edge of the porch where they stayed, feeling that they could not move. Robin yelled several times, "'What do you want?' but there was no answer. After perhaps 15 minutes, the figure turned and walked away. After about 10 steps, it stopped, and a, quote, another form backed out of it, looking similar to the first, but six inches shorter and transparent. The figure walked on and stopped again and the second one came up and again merged with it the reunited figure walked on to a neighbor's driveway where there was a luminous mist in which it rose up and vanished after this incident sue began to develop psychic abilities and poltergeist phenomenon occurred in their house um nope. yep yeah, not a fan nope not a fan at this all this is
1: this
0: uh, is a giant nope. Yeah. Um and the thing is is like I don't know how to take this because like this is partially it seems almost like a men in black case just in how um the the weirdness of it and and stuff but uh in in, in other cases that uh, uh I can make comparisons to but that yeah, not a fan. That's creepy no. as shit. Um,
1: it's yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't feel. Yeah. For it. It feels very distinct from the UFO side of things. Like this is just straight up mm-hmm. weird. And yeah. you know, let's not watch girls.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for don't, like no.
1: For like for like 15 twenty minutes. minutes. Yeah. Like yeah, let's not. No. Let's not do that. Let's, Even if you not do, too creepy. right. Even yeah. if you do try to like impress with your ability to become multiple figures, whatever.
0: I don't think anybody's impressed by that, to be honest. Because like, <laughs> it, I'm not impressed. I'm just gonna say, you know, straight up top, creeped out a little. Sure, impressed, no. Um, unless unless that other
1: forum right, can enough. get
0: me a goddamn sandwich or something. I don't. I don't want it. You know. I don't need it at all. No. No,
1: no, it's true. This is this one is like, this one is truly creepy.
0: Yeah. So, August comes around, and in uh David Jacobs' book, "The UFO Controversy in America," he describes the years of 1965 to 1967 as a turning point quote, those who had been on the periphery of the controversy became actively engaged in it. The press, public, Congress, and the scientific community all entered the debate over UFOs. As a result, the Air Force finally gave up its near monopoly of the UFO study and asked a university to examine the phenomenon. The impetus for this turning point was one of the was the one unknown var- uh, variable in the crux of all the controversy, the UFO sightings. Although Attic recorded sightings, uh, sighting reports at an average rate of 30 to 50 per month for the first six months of 1965, it received Damn. 135 reports in July and 262 in August. And this began a wave that continued until the middle of 1967. The increase in reports prompted widespread public, uh, widespread pa- press and public criticism of the Air Force UFO program, and an outpouring of popular articles and u UFO- and books on UFOs. End quote. So. August first, nineteen sixty-five is seen is just this pivotal moment, and Jerome Clark states, quote, It is impossible even now, three months later, to judge exactly what it what happened that evening. All we know is that the skies of Middle America, ordinarily tranquil during the later summer, suddenly and even to UFO students, unexpectedly produced a vast series of strange phenomena. Described variously as multicolored lights, eggs, and diamonds. Some of the objects seemed to shatter apart, according to one observer. The lights he saw were red and exploded in a shower of sparks, end quote. So, it all starts in Texas. One observer noted an object that was red and it just exploded in this shower of sparks and Deputy Sheriff Dan Carter of Canyon Texas claimed something similar, quote, "I thought at first a plane had exploded in the air. The object appeared to go south and then disintegrated in all colors." End quote. And from there, sightings spread kind of like a virus to Arkansas, Kansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Colorado, the Dakotas, Nebraska, Wyoming, uh, and Washington. Uh, Meteorologist John Shockley out of Wichita, Kansas, had tracked several UFOs on the Weather Bureau's radar, objects that flew between 6,000 and 9,000 feet toward the south side of the city. Assistant Ellis Pike noted that these objects were similar to planes. Uh, These objects appeared to brighten and then fade on the screen at times so like hey we're phasing in and out here that's pretty cool i dig it
1: um (laughs) makes it you know you put that up on the big screen it makes a good party
0: it does it's pretty cool um so the oklahoma highway patrol also reported that tinker air force base in oklahoma city had tracked these ufos as well the FAA, though, it's a totally different story. P.H. Messner, the head of air traffic control for the FAA, claimed that no objects had be rec- been recorded at any time on ATC radar, which. You of course know. not. Well, of course, somebody's got to deny it. Somebody's got to say oh, yeah. it didn't show up on mine.
1: Buzz kills. What are you hiding, yeah, FAA? Bug.
0: Yeah, out with the goods, damn it. so into the early morning hours of august 2nd sightings continued an anonymous air force weather observer saw an object fly over the town of norman oklahoma through a pair of binoculars and a telescope quote it was tilted at about 45 degrees and straightened out so i got a good look at it it looked like saturn with a flat top and flat bottom It was not a true sphere. There were two rings around it, and the rings were part of the main body. They were not separated from it. It was at least twice the size of a Boeing 707. And for reference, a Boeing 707 is 140 feet long with a 130-foot wingspan. So this object was fucking huge.
1: Yeah, it was. Holy crap. This was just the year of, like, the big boys.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of big boys uh you know flying
1: uh but you know, it makes sense that you place. would see them all in like in like Florida and the Midwest cuz those are the only places that still have like the land to hold them if they land. Yeah. You can't do oh, that yeah. shit on the coast. There's too many cities.
0: There's too many cities. Too many cities on the coast. You need you need those big wide open spaces to uh park you UFOs, uh, and, and I get it, you know, I totally get it. Um, a news photographer named Bob Campbell overheard Oklahoma and Texas highway Patrolmen conversing on shortwaves. A UFO had been traced on Oklahoma radar and was heading into Texas. Campbell quickly jumped into his car and located police chief Peter McCollum. And the pair sped out into the country just in time to capture, uh, four time-lapse photos which showed a ball-shaped light in the sky. And Campbell, Campbell and McCollum were not the only ones to observe the object. In Durant, Texas, a police officer and another state employee watched the UFO as well. And Do we have called well Kansas. Uh, I did not find them. I also didn't actively search for them, so they may be out there. I just didn't see them noted in the articles that I was reading.
1: Fair enough. If they talk about a photo, though, I'm like, okay, bring me this photo. Where is this photo?
0: Bring me the photo. I need it. So in in Caldwell, Kansas, two police officers respond to a report of a UFO in the vicinity of Caldwell Airport. And they witnessed an egg-shaped object at least 300 feet long hovering close to the ground. And... The officers they tried to get close, but the object turned out uh its lights and then disappeared. Interestingly, behind a hedgerow. A three hundred foot long object just disappears behind a hedgerow. was like this is amazing.
1: But I think it's just like, oh shit. Uh wait, wait, wait. Humans don't have dark vision. Turn off lights, turn off lights.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's uh it's a monster object. That's that's what we're dealing with though. But uh, by morning, the Air Force had a myriad of explanations for the sightings that night, most pertaining to astral bodies in the night sky. And the press was quick to turn on the Air Force, uh, though. Even you know, United Press International, UPI, they are notoriously a neutral press outfit, was quick to point out, quote, ordinary radar does not pick up planets or stars, end quote. Take that. Um, you know. Yeah, suck on that one, Air Force. Uh, Robert Riser, director of the Oklahoma Science and Art Foundation Planetarium, further added, quote, that is as far from the truth as you can get. These stars and planets are on the opposite side of the Earth from Oklahoma City at this time of year, end quote. So take Yeah, that Air Force. Again. Yeah.
1: Why don't you hire some scientists?
0: Yeah. Uh, what's Heineck doing? Do you got him doing anything? Because. Uh,
1: <laughs> Not yet. That's the next year. Well, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. like, what do they have them
0: doing? <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, you know, Dexter Hillsdale next year, that's when, um, you know. Yeah. It, uh, that's,
1: yeah swamp that's, gas. that's That's 1966 when, when, when poor Heineck gets yeah. shoved out in the spotlight.
0: Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the popular attitude towards UFOs, it was changing. And as one NICAP writer noted, quote, in the last few months, there has been a disturbing increase in public fear of UFOs. Suddenly confronted with these strange objects, even veteran policemen, formerly skeptics, have panicked and fled. End quote. So, yeah, things are getting a little intense here. And, you know, the press just was not having it. And on the <laughs> next night, the UFOs, they returned. They came back. Uh, in the uh, upper Midwest, in the states like Nebraska, Wyoming, Iowa, and uh, greatly in Minnesota. So at 9.30 p.m. over Sioux City, Iowa, many residents saw a large craft bearing red and white lights flying over the town. And they firmly believed it was not a star or some heavenly body just like hanging out like there may be some heavenly bodies in Sioux City, Iowa, but this is not one of them. This this is totally different.
1: <laughs> yeah, Th- those generally don't have a uh, red and white lights and they don't generally. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, hang out over towns. They're, right. you know, they're he- they're heavenly bodies, so they're like at the pool. Yeah. Uh, malls weren't big yet but like i don't know yeah. like a skate park i don't know what people did this exactly no laying in, laying in a field listening to music
0: no i don't think so unless you know unless there was uh unless they had radios with them maybe but uh you know uh I, I i don't know like uh you know when it comes to the Scarberries and Bullets, they'd like to go out and drive and like race people in the TNT area. So Oh,
1: that's uh, true.
0: Yeah, they're, I I'm uh, assuming there's a lot of drag racing.
1: Yeah, they're racing for pinks.
0: Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally racing for pinks these days. Um
1: <laughs> All right, <laughs> so, I'm an idiot. Keep going. <laughs>
0: Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota were home to the highest volume of reports. Hennepin County Sheriff's Office stated, quote, nearly every one of more than 50 police and sheriff squad cars on the road between 1220 and 230 a.m. August 3rd called in to report seeing objects, end quote. While most reports were of a singular light in the sky, one officer stated that he saw three, and patrolman over uh, oversaw eight, uh, eight of them flying over Lake Minnetonka. These. Uh, the lights were kind of flecked with green and, and red and uh, with white on top uh, and bottom. And strangely, none of these objects registered on radar at the international airport. So, um,
1: no, of course they would lots of FAA no,
0: just no FAA don't trust them. Don't trust <laughs> them. uh, in Texas, residents near the towns of Justin and Ponder claimed to see an object land near a highway, though no evidence of it was ever found. Nebraska saw reports of red, white, and blue lights flying over the towns of uh, Valentin, Ainsworth, North Platte, Scotts Bluff, and Sydney. Uh, very patriotic here. Yeah. We got the patriotic well, that, yeah, UFO. Yeah, that's just,
1: right, that's mm-hmm. just, that's just America. They were just celebrating
0: yeah, they were totally celebrating in August. They were a month late, but that's okay. It's, uh, fine. The, it's They got the lost. It's, it okay. it's a little bit. It's the thought that counts, though. <laughs> I get it. Uh, one of the most fascinating accounts come from August 3rd was reported by Don Tenapier, a truck driver. Quote, I was driving north on Highway 15, about 25 miles south of Abilene. I was carrying a full load of peanuts "'and was en route to Lincoln, Nebraska. "'I guess it was about 1.30 a.m. "'when all of a sudden, all the lights of my truck went out. "'Then they came back on, then off, then back on again. "'About this time, this thing, UFO or whatever, "'went over my truck with a sizzling or wind-like blowing sound. "'It scared the hell out of me.' It seemed to almost touch the cab. Maybe it was 20 feet in the air, and it just swooped down over the road and hovered there No, not more than 100 feet in front of me. I tell you, I was standing on those brakes.
1: <laughs>
0: Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't know what was happening. It looked like it was going to fall right in the middle of the road, but it didn't. I got my rig stopped, and about that time, this thing raised up a bit and slowly took off to the west and then headed south. I don't know how long it was there. It seemed longer than 20 seconds, but I was too damn scared to tell time or anything like that. The thing looked round to me. I'd guess i guess it was about two feet thick, and the edges was round. There was a hump or something like that in the middle. This hump stuck up about a four feet or so. There was a dark spot in the hump, and, the, and this might have been a window or something. I just don't know. I tell you, I have never been so scared in my life. I still got a pain in my chest. I regained my senses while this thing was hovering over the road and watched it disappear into the southwest. Where it came from or what it was exactly i'll be darned if i know i know this sounds <laughs> silly but it looked like a big plate with a cup in the middle it really did end quote
1: <laughs> beautiful. That's, uh,
0: that's beautiful that's beautiful i've never heard it mm-hmm.
1: that's the best
0: <laughs> thank you I am. Uh,
1: if,
0: if you would, if you've ever wanted me in a voice actor role, get get a hold of me. I'll uh, yeah. I'll voice act the hell out of anything. Um, so uh, Tenapier first related his story to Patrolman Quentin Kessler, who claimed, "quote He was pale, almost white faced, and his hands were trembling. He appeared to be all shook up, to say the least." End quote. And while Tenapier was dealing with his UFO. Another family was dealing with their own low hovering u f o Harvey Bergman and his family were driving near Amberillo texas Sorry. when definitely yeah. thought
1: you said harvey Birdman okay, I'm good <laughs> <laughs> attorney in law
0: uh, yeah he's uh he's harvey Birdman for now, but uh His family was driving near Amarillo, Texas, when, quote, this disc-shaped thing was spotted hovering over the highway in front of us. I stopped the car and got the kids out in a hurry to take a look. I definitely identified the sound of a motor... It had a red light and a green light, which then flared up to to brilliant colors as it seemed to disappear straight up. It took Bergman five minutes to start the car back up following the encounter. So this this UFO, it did a number on the car.
1: I like that he got the kids out to go look at it. Yep. Yep. No, kids, don't stay in the safety of the car. Come out here into the wilds with me and take a look at this thing.
0: Yep, it's it's totally going to be fine. We are not going to die uh, at all. Um,
1: (laughs) That's why I can't have kids. Come on, kids, let's go ghost hunting. Are you four? I don't (laughs) care.
0: Yeah, no, what do you like? If you could walk, you're fine, uh, I guess. Um, But uh, August 3rd would be the date that one of the best series of UFO photographs was ever taken and i i will firmly say that the rex heflin photos people still argue about their veracity to this day most claiming them to be authentic you are most likely familiar with them they are basically photos of this like top hat looking ufo flying in the air uh their photos captured through the um dash, uh, windshield, uh, in his truck. But, uh, Rex Heflin, he worked for the Orange County highways department in California as a highway inspector. And he was described as, uh, a, a person who, uh, he was described as a quote, seeing as a believing kind of person, And at 11.30 a.m. on August 3rd, Rex was about to radio to the road maintenance superintendent to report some trees down on the train tracks nearby. Strangely, the radio was dead when he picked it up, and that was when he caught a glimpse of an object in the air. Uh, His thoughts drifted to ideas of military technology as the object slowly just kind of moved across the road in front of him and... It hovered there momentarily, allowing Heflin to get a good view of it. And it resembled a saucer with a dome on top approximately 30 feet in diameter and 8 feet thick. But really, it resembled just kind of like a flying top hat, uh, the sun's rays reflecting off its surface. And Heflin made a quick move to grab his Model 101 Polaroid camera from the seat of his truck. And he just started to snap photo after photo. Um, somewhere in the neighborhood of like um, four or five photos. Yeah, there's a lot. And he just kept, yeah. And he it just kept shooting through the the windshield, and the object maintained an altitude of about 150 feet as it wobbled in the air, and there was a noticeable beam of light in the center of the object that seemed to rotate. Uh, and the rotations became quicker as the object shot into the air, leaving a smoke ring that Heflin was able to photograph. And shortly after it departed, the shortwave radio kind of came back to life. And what's interesting is like the that that smoke ring, you can see it in the photo. It's it's it's, it's interesting. Like uh you
1: can. It's, it's very really weird. clear. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Project Blue Book gets its hands on this quake. On this on this case, and it's quick to label it a hoax. He claimed that the object was about like three feet in diameter, and it was only about fifteen to twenty feet off the ground. The only problem is, is if you look at those those photographs, what the hell is he suspending it on? There's nothing there that he could be (laughs)
1: like. No, he's in a car, and it's just it's. mm -hmm. I mean, we think when you like you said, Orange County, California. So you think, um. You know, you think Southern California, you just think like buildings everywhere and people everywhere. But no, this is back in the day when it was just flatland and orange groves. And like, yes, there is no there is nothing around there to possibly dangle no. a, a, a small object from to take a photo from such a such a place that you wouldn't also be getting that. That, you know, that 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 rod whatever you have you whatever you're using to dangle the thing from in your photos like right, looked like, like the just, only thing around him is the truck that he is in
0: right and there is no way that you could angle anything that high in the air from his truck because that like his truck is not like you know like 20 plus feet tall. So uh, right. it makes no sense. The The explanation makes no sense at all. So, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a bad one. But uh, what's interesting
1: is that <laughs> like all the, of Project a, Blue Books, <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> just a lot of them are bad. They're just, you know, they're, they're just, so just bad. Just really bad.
0: Yeah. Bad. They didn't even try. Uh, no, they, they really didn't. Uh there was another witness that actually backed up Heflin's sighting. A young boy named Greg Oliver who saw the object in the same general area after uh, he had seen it. So, you know, it's interesting photos backed up by an eyewitness.
1: Just, yeah,
0: but you know, blue book, blue book is failing us. Um, it's uh, like always. Yeah. Like always, and the next day, a group of objects traveling in a V formation were reported by an Air Force radar base in Michigan flying off Lake Superior. Yeah. And uh, over Duluth, uh, Minnesota, jet fighters were scrambled to chase the objects, but they were like outclassed uh, at every step of the way. And. Over Arkansas on August 8th, the Estep family observed a, quote, long, narrow silver object with lighted windows and a revolving light on top hovering in the air just above the trees, end quote. The object made strange noises, uh, such as a loud clicking sound, as well as sounds similar to those made by a siren. And When the object departed, it, it left this wake of sparks. And during this time... Humanoid sightings were kind of, they were down, but one incident was reported in Grand Forks, North Dakota, around 11.30 p.m. Sylvia Hoylman, Becky Onstead, and Becky Evanson had pulled over near uh, Lincoln Park Golf Course to take in kind of the beautiful Harvest Moon. Uh, And in this odd bit of unease, these girls turned around and they noticed that the moon was actually behind them. Whoops, what they were looking at wasn't the moon. It was it was something else. So this this weird feeling comes over them as they notice this false moon sitting on the ground blinking uh black and white, which is interesting like black and white why what is this blinking? So the object it just looked it looked just like the moon though there was like what have what looked like a man inside. So there were silhouettes of these figures kind of moving about inside this moon. And these three men approached the women and told them that they had been observing this strange, these strange figures for over half an hour. A short time later, the women phoned the police, but by the time they returned to the area, the object was gone. The men cl- became bold, and one of them actually ran toward the object, which is what caused it to leave. This is...
1: Men, stop. <laughs> Stop running at things. Stop running at UFOs. Stop.
0: Uh yeah, you know, it's uh it's unfortunate, you know, scaring off the UFOs. This is ridiculous. Uh
1: just instinct to just run at stuff. Oh, that's yeah, possibly like, dangerous. Let me charge it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like uh this is no better use of my time than to uh, run towards this thing. Yeah. Um, there was even report of a tiny UFO in uh, Woodenville, Washington. Miss Herb Johnson was driving home around eleven p.m. And I, I, listen, I just want to say first off, I hate how women were referred to by their husbands' names. Like they're individuals, you could you could call them by their names. Yeah, uh, no, but, no, no, you know.
1: no. We we didn't have names until like like nineteen ninety four, like.
0: We just lost our first names. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, You had dudes names pretty much. Uh, uh, You know, Mrs. Herb Johnson, she was driving home at around 11 p.m. when she saw an object less than two feet in size glowing brightly coming down right in front of her car. Quote, when I turned off the 228th, the object took an abrupt turn and crossed the road until it was directly, in, directly above my car. Uh, it was until I rolled, down, uh, rolled the window down and looked outside that it sped away. The object went straight up into the air and out of sight in a split second. So, as you can see... August, there's just, like, a lot of weird UFO stuff going on, and it's just, like, being hammered all over the place. There's and, so much. Uh, similar, yeah, it's just so, so weird. But, like, what's interesting is, like, similar craft were, report, were reported in Wisconsin on August 22nd, uh, Ward Lake, Alaska, September 22nd, and Bexley, Ohio – in on October 16th so like crazy repeat phenomenon and, and shit just like a lot of crazy stuff but on August 11th the Minnesota star carried an interesting interview with Kenneth Arnold who was 50 years old at the time and he claimed quote these things are not machines but something alive that has enough intelligence that they are as aware of you as you are of them So Kenneth Arnold starts to promote the idea and he did for like decades that UFOs weren't machines. They were living things. They were living, uh, whether they were animals or, or something like that, which is, which is interesting. It's an interesting theory. Like this is your OG UFO guy. And after, uh, by this time we're talking close to 20 years, it's like, nah these are animals these are creatures these are living beings so interesting uh, it's kind of a refreshing uh take on it uh kenneth arnold's just kind of an interesting dude because he became the first ufo investigator after his experience uh you know he goes to maury island encounters a lot of paranoid weirdness and uh you know kind of becomes a ufo buff after that but uh It's an interesting theory. And that same night, August 11th, a pilot named Ray Hoffman and two other passengers were flying in a twin-engine airplane between wilkes Bar and Hazleton, Pennsylvania when they sighted this bright light. Uh, He pointed the plane towards this UFO and he followed it, pulling to within five miles, at which point the craft kind of just quickly accelerated away.
1: God damn it, men! Oh, I'm in the air with this thing. I will just <laughs> fly after it. Nothing bad can happen, surely.
0: You know, UFOs just disabling cars. It's nothing to say that they can't disable planes. But in um, two days later, on August 13th, siblings Ellen and Lauren Ryerson, 16 and 13, respectively were approached by three strange persons whom they connected to UFOs. They were approximately five and a half feet tall with very large pores on the top of their heads and large protrusions at the back. Um, That's that's a weird one on me. They they must have huge ass pimples, I'm just saying.
1: (laughs) Oh, God. I guess easier to clean, though? i think that's you know the upside here
0: but uh <laughs> dear god that's uh yeah yeah no, no thank it's, you um,
1: what horrific no. puberty they must have gone through
0: yeah uh very uh their eyes were quite large protruding outward and their faces held just no expressions at all the girls ran away from these stranger these strange figures and when they turned around to see if they were still being pursued beings had disappeared and see
1: they t- ran away not torn you
0: yep. gotta is, learn uh, you know lessons lessons being learned here it's important uh So two unusual landing cases took place on August nineteenth and twentieth. As six uh, quote as sixteen year old Harold Butcher operated a milking machine in his father's dairy barn near Cherry Creek, New York, he heard the radio suddenly become blurred with static. Then the tractor which ran the milking machine stopped, and a Holstein bull tried uh, tied outside began to bellow and tried to pull at the pole to which he was tied running to the door. The youth was startled to see a large object shaped like two bowls placed face to face, hovering just above the ground, a quarter, a quarter of a mile away. He hurried toward the UFO. Yep. He's running towards it and was about 50 to 75 feet from it. When it emitted a reddish vapor, which bounced as it hit the ground. And then after making a beeping sound, the machine shot upward into the clouds. Then butcher heard an explosion like dynamite. Oh God. Yeah. Like it's uh this, this is a weird one. This is a, this is a very weird one. Uh, He uh, telephoned the house, and when the other witness came outside, they smelled a peculiar odor in the air and also noticed that the cloud into which the saucer had flown had begun to glow a greenish color. The bull in its terror had actually managed to bend the bar that held it. Half an hour later, the UFO returned and circled the area, prompting Harold Butcher's mother to call the state police. Two troopers investigated briefly and notified the Air Force. The next day, Captain James Dorsey, operations officer of 461st Air Force Group, and four technicians examined the ground carefully. Their findings, a purple liquid substance, burned grass and foliage, and small impressions in the ground two inches wide and two inches apart. End quote. So... NAGCAP, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon, was able to get their hands on some, uh, on some of the material and have it analyzed. Uh, Tests showed that the purple liquid is made of aluminum, iron, and silicon.
1: Okay, as someone who doesn't know again doesn't know anything about science, is that strange? Is that like?
0: It seems pretty strange. I'm not really sure what this purple liquid is, and they don't really make a, a clear assessment of exactly what it is. But uh, yeah, it's it's pretty weird.
1: Pretty. Okay. It's weird. like it's not. It's not like the purple part aside because that just seems strange to me. It's not like a liquid that could be found in like like Earth machinery.
0: Like. It, it just seems out of the ordinary. I like I can't totally put it put it in the in a framework of anything. Like maybe I, I need to talk to a chemist on this one because uh, <laughs> it's enough. just it's it's weird. It it just seems weird to me. Aluminum, iron, and silicon. It's, but maybe yeah, that it, is fe- it. it
1: feels weird that any of those would be would yeah would continue to stay in liquid form. Right. That seemed like maybe pretty damn solid to me.
0: But yeah, I don't know. But
1: uh, Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. It's
0: pretty weird. So um the next night, a state trooper named Richard Ward spotted an object just a few miles from the butcher farm. Uh it was a saucer shaped object with eight portholes on it. And on the evening of the twenty third, three of the butcher boys saw Another object rise out of a wooded area, so there's a lot of repeat phenomenon in Cherry Creek happening at around this time. Um, at 3 a.m. on August 20th, Miss uh, T.E. Shoemaker was visiting her mother in Mount Airy, North Carolina, when she was awakened from a dead sleep by an incredibly loud humming sound. "Quote: I could hear the whirring noise of the air and the air currents hitting the house." I could hear the air in a pine tree near the window. I thought about what I should do. I rose and I started to call my husband, but I couldn't speak. I couldn't move. I was frightened, but I don't think I was that frightened. I think I did something to me that prevented me from moving." End quote. It took some real effort, but she was eventually able to pull herself to the window and pulling back the shades, a large luminous cigar shaped object stood on end at a 90 degree angle. Quote, it moved to the right, then to the left, then back, then up. Then it moved down and to the left and disappeared behind the trees along the highway. Essentially, it was putting in a cheat code. That's, that's what I get from this. this yeah. Is, I
1: was like, oh, okay, uh, so we're just space yeah. invaders. Cool
0: totally totally um the, the next morning when miss uh shoemaker told her husband he laughed until he went out into the yard in the back was a 6 inch band of crushed grass running uh, in a perfect circle, exactly twelve feet across, the driveway situated on a north south line was covered with leaves from a line of oak trees. The leaves still on the trees were in total disarray, their pale uh undersides turned up end quote so yeah, that's kind of interesting um it's, it's a little weird, it's a little weird, but um <laughs> it feels strange. Yeah, uh, but August that month, it was just this explosion of reports, and that would go on to reflect uh, a lot of what would happen throughout the rest of the country. Whereas, uh, you know, if you look at the 73 flap, which we talked about, like a lot of the stuff was concentrated in like the East in the, in the Northeast and the Southeast. But this was just like, it's an explosion everywhere. UFOs right. just doing their weird and creepy stuff everywhere. So right, we roll up into fall. September would give us one of the most important cases of 1965, the incident at Exeter. And Norman Muscarello was hitchhiking home. Young kid was in college, uh, it's September 3rd, 1965, and he was, uh, you know, coming home to visit his uh parents for the weekend. Uh, and he reached Kensington at around 2 a.m. and shortly after approaching an empty field in between two houses, uh, an object that he called, quote the thing came out of the sky and headed directly for him. This object was, quote bigger than a house, 80 to 90 feet in diameter. Uh, This discoidal object had red lights around the rim. It wobbled silently as it floated towards him. The UFO came so close that Muscarello was forced to duck down onto the road shoulder. The craft backed away slowly from the frightened boy, and the object made for one of the houses on either side of this empty field, hovering very slowly. Once it was far enough away, Muscarello just kind of ran for it. Yeah. He pounded on the door of one of the houses, but found that like no one was home. Uh, but fortunately there was a passing car, uh, driven by this middle-aged couple. And like the one thing that I'm picturing in my head is that scene from, uh, back to the future when, you know, Marty goes back in- to 1955 and he runs into those old folks, uh, on the, um,
1: Oh, totally. On,
0: uh, while he's, uh, yeah, in the and yeah. like, you know <laughs> like they're scared and they fall they away, but uh in this case, like uh <laughs> this this nice middle-aged couple was uh they drove him to Exeter uh to the police station where he arrived at about two twenty-four AM and Muscarello told his story to Officer Tolin, who was the dispatcher that evening uh, while he was just like chain smoking cigarettes, so um, you know, just nervous as all hell. It kind of has like a uh, Pascagoula kind of vibe to it here. And Tolan he was impressed with the sincerity, and he radioed to Cruiser Number Twenty-One, which was driven by Eugene Bertrand, uh, a former—he's an Air Force veteran, kind of uh, used to flying objects in the area. But what's interesting is an hour earlier while patrolling near an overpass on route one Oh one outside of Exeter, he drove up on a parked car with a woman behind the wheel and Bertrand knocked on the window and she proclaimed to tell him that a huge object had tailed her car 12 miles from Epping. And, the object tailed her closely a bright red light fixed into her rearview mirror and then it just took off at tremendous speed joining the stars and bertrand thought that she was crazy so of course he didn't radio it like
1: <laughs> oh, oh uh, she's just a you know? nutcase
0: mm-hmm. didn't think anything of it so muscarello climbs into the patrol car and they drive back out into this field you know, this is it. It was a nice night. It was uh, clear, it was moonless, and it was warm. And, you know, there was nothing in the sky. And Bertrand radioed into Toland to let him know that, you know, he would be away from his patrol car and not to worry. And the pair just kind of walked into this field. And there was a corral with uh, horses about 300 feet in. And, Bertrand did his best to kind of comfort this jumpy kid telling him that it ah, must have been a helicopter, you know. And when the patrolman shined his flashlight onto the horses, they began to buck like crazy and this UFO made itself known. It started to rise up behind these two tall tall t- pine trees dun, and it dun, just dun. like started to glow. <laughs> yeah. Just that's this such, deep. That's red such a color. movie scene. It is. It, it it definitely is. Uh, and it just soundlessly starts to move toward them. Uh, and they described it kind of moving like a leaf in the wind, and the crass lights, uh, were you know just covered everything in this blood red glow. The officer initially reached for his thirty eight service revolver, but thought better of it. Bertrand feared that it was radioactive and led Muscarello out of the field. So uh, at the patrol car, Bertrand radioed to dispatch, "My God, I see the damn thing myself." The object hovered about a hundred feet in front of them, 300 feet away, and the red lights on the object seemed to pulsate and dim, kind of in a pattern, so like, um, there's a kind of an image of this um, object. In which, like, there's a series of lights on it, and uh, the way they described it is it, it would go, it would blink on and off one, two, three, four, five, and then it would go five, four, three, two, one, and it kept going in this pattern, uh, over and over again. Uh, and it would, yeah, it would just dim from left to right, right to left. And the lights made it kind of difficult to describe what the object looked like. Nobody could really get a good beat on it because those lights were just too bright. So patrolman David Hunt pulled up to the pole in cruiser number 20. There was a nearby um, uh, pole. And uh, in response to Bertrand's call... Uh, quote i could see that fluttering movement it was going from left to right between the tops of two big trees i could see these pulsating lights i could hear those horses kicking out in the barn those dogs were really howling then it started moving slow like across the tops of the trees uh, just above the trees it was rocking when it did this a creepy type of look Airplanes don't do this. No kidding. No way. No kidding, David.
1: <laughs> Thanks, David.
0: <laughs> yeah, appreciate it, bud. That's that's a good one. Um, after it moved out of sight toward Hampton, toward the ocean, we waited a while. A B-47 came over. You could tell the difference. There was no comparison.
1: <laughs> no way.
0: No. No. So, and... What's interesting is like there were other reports that night from a, a myriad of different witnesses. There was also kind of a flap going on in the Exeter area. You know, numerous witnesses were report seeing objects. Um, so rolling into September and October, things things just get, continue to get weird. Uh, and, and and one of my favorite reports um, comes from Brazoria County, Texas, where earlier in the evening. Uh, uh that same night deputy Bob Good was helping his son move an alligator when it bit him. And it was a painful wound that swelled up a lot, but that didn't stop him from going on duty with chief deputy Bill M- Billy McCoy.
1: No, of course and not.
0: No. He's uh he's he's got to he's got to go on patrol.
1: Ah, uh, uh, you know, it's just an alligator bite.
0: Yeah, just moving that gator and it bit him. But, um, you yeah, know, quiet night. Uh The two officers were driving down Highway 36 around midnight when a huge craft, 200 feet long and 50 feet thick, hovered silently over the patrol car.
1: All on these big boys! Side.
0: Yeah. Just like th- this really is the year of pretty big UFOs. They're pretty big. Um, yeah, uh, on on one side, a purple light shone down, while on the other, there was a blue light. Uh, the pair were scared and sped the hell out of there. In the process, though, the beams of light allegedly hit Bob Good's arm, the one with the bite on it. And he recalled feeling a warm sensation as the light hit him. Still, the officers were curious, and they actually returned to the site where the UFO remained and approached them again. And you can believe that they turned down a side road before the UFO got to.
1: Them. Hey, let's go back and see that. Nope, just kidding. Nope, mm nope. Thought I was yep, brave, I'm no, not
0: brave. I was, uh, not that thought brave. I, not thought that, I could do it. Can't do it. Nope. Can't do it. Nope. So curiously good notice that after the encounter his finger was no longer bleeding and the swelling had abated the wound was quickly healing so we have a UFO healing an alligator bite um there there is an interesting postscript to this case uh Quote, strange as all this was, the oddest part of of all did not come until slightly later. Two strangers appeared at the sheriff's office looking for Deputy Good, who was not in. When they found him at a West Columbia area restaurant, they immediately began to describe in detail how the UFO looked, even before Good had an opportunity to tell them. The ship, they continued, operated on magnetic rays. They suggested that in the future, should he encounter a similar machine, he should cooperate with its occupants and keep to himself any conversation that he that might ensue. So, <laughs> or else
1: what? They'll break his a, legs.
0: What? <laughs> right, right. So yeah, we have uh, we have kind of a MIB situation here because uh, that that was just weird as hell, weird as all hell. Um. Ellington Air Force Base uh, did conduct an investigation. Major Lawrence R. Leach Jr. concluded that both officers appeared to be intelligent, mature, level-headed, and capable of sound judgment and reasoning, except in, when handling an alligator. Um, right. But, yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> except uh, for that it's, part. If we,
1: if we ignore that part. Where he not only mishandled an alligator and got bit by one, but then proceeded to not treat the bite and then go on duty. Other than that, totally uh, reasonable, logical, level-headed dudes. Yep. Yep.
0: Pretty much. Uh, Rio Vista, California was the site of a pair of strange encounters. Uh, on September 21st, two boys allegedly fired at a UFO. At around 8:30 pm, Danny Bland, 18, said, quote, "I was down on the Riverview Road when it appeared, and I ran home and they uh, and then called my chum, Tom Springs, I grabbed a twenty two rifle and Tom took a twenty two pistol. It was then about 260 feet off the ground and moving toward the mesa of the city. The brilliance changed to a kind of smoggy red, and we were scared. Both of us fired several shots at it. It became brighter when the bullet struck. We knew we had hit it because the object gave off a metallic ring. The light flooded our car just as the sun was shining. Yeah. Just firing at hey, UFOs, Tom. man.
1: Hey Tom, you want you want to go shooting on some UFOs tonight?
0: Yeah. It's a good night <laughs> for it, you know.
1: Um, oh, it's a great night for shooting UFOs.
0: It really is. Truly is. Um additional sightings would be reported from several hundred Rio Vista residents on October 4th. Betty Valine would uh even spot a humanoid along with her son the pair saw a disc-shaped object with a transparent dome with like these visible figures inside but there really isn't a lot of detail in, in that case but the strangest case from 1965 would would occur on October 23rd it, it's um It was reported in Long Prairie, Minnesota, 19-year-old radio announcer uh, James Townsend was driving down Highway 27 around 7.15 p.m. when he rounded a curve. Quote, all of a sudden, my engine stopped, my lights went out, and my radio stopped playing. I let the car coast, and then I put on the brakes because I saw this thing in the center of the highway. It was like a rocket ship. It was about 30 feet tall and about 10 feet in diameter. It was sitting on fins. Then I saw them. They were standing in a big circle of light underneath the ship. I jumped out of my car and was going to try to knock one of them over. Then they came at me. They came right up to the car. There were three of them. So... This is, this is when we get into the, the fun description. According to Townsend's description, they resembled beer cans. They had no eyes or anything, just those tripod legs with those matchstick arms extending from their bottoms and sides. They may have been robots, but they acted like creatures. I can't explain it because they didn't have eyes, but they were looking right at me yeah um uh, you, you gotta thats some like hey man, when you're deep into that um thirty rack and the beers start staring back at you,
1: yeah, yeah, my dudes uh put it down,
0: yeah just 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 put it down you you're just fine. go to bed uh, yeah, the two stared at each other for a bit before the beings moved underneath the ship. Then there was a high-pitched humming sound, and the ship took off straight up. It went up a quarter of a mile, stopped for a moment, and then disappeared. After it left, my lights on the car came back on, and the engine started running. And I didn't touch it either. I just can't explain that. Then I heard my radio playing again. I got out of there fast.
1: Yeah, you did.
0: Yep. So Townsend immediately reported the incident to Todd County Sheriff James Bain and Long Prairie Officer Laverne Lubitz. That is just an absolute baller name. I love that That's wonderful. Yeah. They could tell that he was shaken by the incident. They escorted the young man back to the site, and interestingly, they saw a yellow light moving across the sky. On the ground, where the object had been they found three strips, approximately three feet long by four inches wide, composed of an oil-like material. There were a pair of sightings in the area that added credibility to his case. At 7 p.m., 14-year-old Ray Blessing witnessed a sombrero-shaped object over the skies of Minneapolis, which is pretty close by, and three other witnesses, young men hunting raccoons, also reported seeing a light in the sky near the time and place uh, of Townsend's encounter. So, yeah, that's that's probably the weirdest case from this year. It's uh, it's it's I don't even know how to categorize that. Hey, I saw some beer cans.
1: uh, Right. There needs to be a new category and it's for sentient beer.
0: Yeah, sentient beer. Uh, It's the uh, I don't know why. Project Blue Book didn't have a category for that, but uh, their failings, their shortcomings, you know. It is. Yeah, what it is. once
1: again, they failed us.
0: They are yep, not constantly.
1: talking about the sentient beer.
0: And uh, we're all suffering for it. Um, so, <laughs> uh, rolling into November on November 9th, the Northeast would experience an intense blackout. During the event, Stuart Whitman was staying in a hotel. Quote, I heard a sound like a whippoorwill whistle outside of my 12th floor window. End quote. Two UFOs were just hovering there. Quote, one of them was orange and the other was blue. They gave off a strange luminescent light, so I couldn't see if there were portholes or who was in them. Then oh, I heard them just portals. speaking to me. Yeah, t- totally. Totally portals. Yeah. Yeah, don't uh, worry about it. Yeah, They're, Those are just portals. No. Yeah, no, no big deal. No big deal. Uh, and then I heard them speaking to me as if I was on a loudspeaker. They spoke to me in English. It may not have been audible to anyone else. They seemed to want to talk to me because they appeared to have no malice or hate. Like, eh, I don't know, dude. You know, that's your character assessment of yourself. I don't personally know you, but, uh, you know... Uh,
1: you know, maybe um, he had like a trustworthy face or a trustworthy maybe. aura.
0: Maybe. Um They said that they were fearful of Earth because Earthlings were messing around with unknown quantities and might disrupt the balance of the universe or their planet.
1: Correct. Fair.
0: Yeah, totally fair. Uh the people in the UFO said. Uh, The blackout was just a little demonstration Of their power and that they could do A lot more with almost no effort It served as a warning They said they could stop our Whole planet from functioning They asked me to do what I could To fight malice, prejudice, and hate On Earth and then they took off Uh, Noble
1: Okay, well kind of But also kind of dicks
0: Yeah, yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, you know, I get it. Like uh, aliens being dicks, it's what they do. It's great. It's I mean, I, it's not that like,
1: I'm not on their side. Like, right? That's they're legit. You're you're correct. However, <laughs> you don't you don't you don't got to be dicks about it when it's cold outside and now nobody has power.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um Quote, I couldn't see, I couldn't say how big the objects were, but when they took off, I felt elated. I wasn't even shocked. And I know I wasn't asleep because I was standing by the window and wide awake the entire time. I don't know why they picked me as a contact, but I'll swear on a Bible that I saw them out there and that they talked to me. End quote. God damn it. <laughs> Gotta believe me, damn it. Um... So, uh, another of the more well-known cases would occur on December 9th as a bright object streaked across the skies of Canada, Michigan, and Ohio before crashing into the woods in the small town of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania at around 4.47 p.m. Thousands of people saw this object and the vapor trail that it left behind, uh, which was even filmed by some witnesses. At around 6.30 p.m., Francis Kelp phoned John Murphy at WHJB in Greensburg, where he uh, told the news director of a fireball that had been seen crashing into the woods uh, near her home. Her two sons had ventured out, but she called them back, fearing uh, what would happen if they got closer, so state police Correct. and local firefighters responded quickly, and they were armed with a Geiger counter uh before long though the u s army and the air Force descended on the woods, blocking off access to the public.
1: The like site they was do.
0: examined but yeah, just uh you know cutting people off uh you're not getting through there, so um. Uh, the site was examined by uh, uh, firsthand by fire marshal um, and uh, by a state investigator, Carl Metz and Paul Shipko, respectively. Metz prevented people from accessing the site, though several firefighters had made it there, including Jim Romansky, who claimed to see an acorn object between 9 and 12 feet in diameter that had cut into the ground. And on the bottom it allegedly contained a gold band of writing that Romansky claimed resembled Egyptian hieroglyphs, and it was this like solid object without rivets like looked like it was made of you know cast as one piece of solid metal and it seemed um uh, another witness bill bluebush also described seeing this acorn object in the woods in the media the story was covered exclusively as a story about a fireball in the air but the air force uh, you know their determination was it was a meteorite that crashed into the woods but Investigators like Ivan T. Sanderson determined that the object people saw streaking across the sky, the sky was actually moving too slowly to be considered a meteor. And he also determined from witness testimony that the object had changed directions when it, uh, it actually turned uh, south near Cleveland. So many theories have been offered for you know what has crashed in the woods at Kecksburg you know anything from meteors to a cosmos 96 satellite and uh and stuff but you know other investigators by like stan uh, gordon aren't really convinced it's one of those kind of like enduring cases um and there's also like uh reports of people seeing a large flatbed truck um Transporting a really strange-looking object underneath a tarp. So eh, it's one of those enduring cases that uh it's just like weird from top to bottom. For sure. And, it's so strange. Yeah. It is. It, it's a very strange one, especially when you're talking about an object that turned in midair. So uh definitely of some kind of make. Um but uh, you know, one of the last cases reported in nineteen sixty five would come from Herman, Minnesota on December twentieth. Fifteen year old Edward Bruins was driving his father's pickup truck when he noticed a strange object hovering just above the road, several feet in front of him. And like this is a fifteen year old kid driving a pickup truck. You know this is like a like a farm situation here, you know. Oh yeah. The engine of the truck died the UFO started to glow intensely and rose up, shooting off sparks in the process. Then he blacked out, waking up sometime later in a ditch, his truck facing the opposite direction he was coming from. Strangely, there were no tracks that led into the ditch. Due to a heart condition that he had, Bruins actually required medical treatment, but he, he lived. But there's some interesting... Yeah, there's some interesting weird stuff there. Just like, hey, your truck's in the opposite direction, and there's no tracks. So, what the hell's going on here? Right? Yeah, yeah. Just, just a little weird. Just, just a bit weird. You know?
1: <laughs> I appreciate the juxtaposition of like one UFO would heal a guy's alligator bite, but there are like ten other cases around that where a UFO is either like somehow causing, um. The injury or pain or just like not giving a fuck about it. Yep. <laughs> just like whatever. Yeah. You're human. whatever. Uh,
0: just go. Yeah. It is. It is whatever. And and that's gonna do it for the first part of this series on the nineteen sixty-five to sixty-seven flap. Uh Kay, thank you so much for joining me again for this absolute bonkers episode of <laughs> just craziness. <laughs> All over the place.
1: Yeah, it's 1965 was wild. Yeah. Just in the sheer absurdity of what Mm -hmm. people saw in the skies. Like, And none of none of like, yeah, there were some repeat incidents and like some repeat craft, but like none of it was the same. It was like all of a sudden Earth was the vacation spot for an entire star system. Yeah, and then everybody got here, realized that travel agency was load of shit, and that Earth <laughs> actually kind of sucks, and I left again.
0: <laughs> yeah, except for those aliens that saw that woman sunbathing. I guess they got yeah, a kick okay. out of it.
1: That was like the highlight. They're just like <laughs> nice. That,
0: yeah, um, but uh, yeah, that 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 perfectly sums up what 1965 was. In terms of the UFO reports and folks, it's only going to get weirder from here. The humanoid sightings are going to go up. The uh, the UFO uh, sightings are going to increase dramatically and uh, we're going to get a Mothman on our hands real quick. Uh, But uh, yes, it's it's uh, that's what you get next next episode. But uh, yes, thank you again for, for joining me for this episode. Uh, Where can people keep up with you and, and uh, follow along with what y'all are doing over at the Haunted Mitten?
1: Uh, You can find us really anywhere you get podcasts. I kind of have tried, I've made it my mission to find even the smallest like podcast provider and just get us on there. Um, We have a Patreon under Haunted Mitten, uh, that includes my uh, true crime corner as well as the recordings of our live shows. We just did one at Frankenfest in Lansing, Michigan. Um, otherwise you can catch us on all the social medias that my lovely co-host Krista takes care of because I'm social media bad. Um, <laughs> just bad. <laughs> social media, no good. It's, it's, it's no goo. Um, but yeah, thank you. Um, sorry that I pester you so much to be on your episodes, but I'm going to keep doing it. So I'm actually not that sorry. Uh,
0: just, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do. And, you know, if uh, you know, we'll have you back on again, for sure.
1: Uh, <laughs> ah, you've said it and it's and it's good and it's published. So now yep. you have to.
0: Yep. For more uh, of my terrible jokes. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, like, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's set in stone now. It's going to happen. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, as for the Our strange Skies podcast, you can find us on most podcasting apps. And if you'd like to help us out ratings and reviews help, um, you can leave one for the haunted mitten while you're at it. And, uh, totally. on any platform that allows it, uh, if you want to do multiple platforms, you should do it. Uh, because you know, support the pods that you love tell your friends about us because we're all amazing and stuff like that and you know what you can throw money at us uh over on patreon Patreon patreon.com yeah we all are all poor uh you know for three dollars a month you can you can get uh early access to this episode and uh you can get some bonus episodes too so uh do that we're we're on Twitter and Instagram at our strange skies. Uh, special thanks to floats for the use of their song UFO as the theme song for this podcast. Special thanks to Spencer worth Davis for editing our episodes to Megan Lagerberg for our logo and to the great Desdemona for our t-shirt designs. Uh, and links to all of that stuff, it's social media profiles, Patreon or even our T public store where we got some awesome merch over there. Uh, check the link tree in the show notes you can find all that stuff there uh and in the show notes you can find sources for uh everything in this episode and folks there's gonna be a ton. (laughs) you look at the show notes it's like i've missed like a list of mile long uh of sources for this thing because i am a psycho when it comes to you know pulling sources for things but like Uh, a good psycho finally yeah like like uh you know just like a dedicated dedicated yeah. to the to the to the ufos not yeah. to murder or anything like that you know just go in that extra mile to get those resources that you folks desperately crave because i'm kind yeah. of like that and i go that extra mile but um all yeah. those terrible um, books
1: written in the 80s
0: all of them so many of them I own too many of them and uh, you know what you can't find most of them anymore so I paid way more than I should have but that's the kind of extra mile I go for all of you and finally don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or hanging out in a field in Exeter New Hampshire in gray we trust
1: I wish you could stay, cause I know to say Media